0: Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I am your host, senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here with Glossy's editor-in-chief, Jill Manoff. Hello, Jill. How's it going?
1: Hey, Danny. How are you?
0: I'm doing very well. We're in the middle of our series this week on recession stories, recession prep, if there's a recession, that kind of thing. Uh, we're going to talk about some stuff that will touch on it, but if you have any interest in reading more, there's a bunch of stories on Glossy all throughout this week on on some of the topics we're talking about today. Um but yeah, we're going to talk about a couple stories today. The first is Marc Jacobs had their big show at the New York Public Library. We're going to talk a little bit about Marc Jacobs in general, which seems like the brand is doing super well, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, secondly, some controversy and some movement this week on the Sustainable Apparel Coalition and the kind of product labeling standardization that they've been trying to do there for different fashion brands labeling um you know the environmental impact of different clothing and the strong indication that there was some greenwashing going on there, um, mostly with H&M. We'll talk about that. And then finally, StockX uh, laid off about 8% of its staff this week. And we will talk about that and why some other companies are going through a bunch of layoffs right now. So Monday night, Mark Jacobs had a show. It was at the New York Public Library. Um, by all accounts, it was a nice looking show. The thing that stood out to me about it, Joe, was that it just, the whole thing felt very uh, traditional and not in a bad way. Um, the staging was kind of simple. The clothes were nice, but like not like super avant-garde or anything. There was, um, you know, some Philip Glass music and uh, the New York Times in their coverage of it noted that it it ended with an all white kind of look, which is sort of a traditional runway thing to do. The whole thing just kind of felt very like, I don't know, traditional. But again, I don't mean that in a disparaging way. It just sound, felt very classic and... Um, and by all accounts, like Marc Jacobs is, you know, doing pretty well at the moment. Um, I think Business of Fashion reported that its revenues are up double digits past pre-pandemic levels. Uh, it's opening 20 new stores this year and approaching a billion dollars in sales. Um, what What are your thoughts on, on all that, Jill? Is, is that a fair characterization?
1: I do think. I think that the interest was in the styling and the, I don't know, the twisting and the... <laughs> Um, the, the accessories, the twisting of the, of the knits and the sweaters and over the top kind yeah, of
0: <laughs> everything kind of like tied up in itself in a cool way.
1: Totally. But you're right. In the past, Mark Jacobs has done some really dramatic statement shows with Lady Gaga and like, um, at the old, the old armory where it was really, they built the stage almost t- like Tom Brown does today. Um, and so I think that has to do with, um, the fact that, you know years ago i think it was 2017 the brand killed mark by mark jacobs line um and really the focus was on the collection and confused the comp- customer confused buyers right now the, with the new ceo eric miracale i'm not sure how to pronounce it but the um the new ceo um and mark jacobs the the goal is um accessible one accessible collection called The Marc Jacobs um accessible whereas it's kind of um affordable luxury or advanced contemporary it's not those ultra ultra high price points so it should be you know more more wearable something that the average consumer as opposed to the high fashion shopper may may see and immediately want to buy um and I think that yeah maybe Marc and the company they're getting their jollies or they're having their Fun, um, through this young heaven, uh, collection that, that is oh so fun and really influential. I want to say, I think that, um, I'm seeing others emulate what they're doing with their very, um, even Harry Styles and Gucci with their latest cl- collection, which had some of those like little teddy bear accessories. It really was reminiscent to me of this heaven collection by Marc Jacobs. So, um, I still think that, you know, they're doing fun things. They're, Starting conversations. Love Marc Jacobs. So anyway, I thought it was a fun show, too. But yeah, maybe the show in itself wasn't the most uh, worthy of conversation, though we're talking about it.
0: Well, I think the show is worthy of conversation. I just like it's it's worthy in that it's like very kind of sticking to a, a traditional model that's like working really well and and not like a, in a tired kind of way. Um, I saw that the whole collection is only available at Bergdorf Goodman, which is like a very kind of old school sort of way of doing it. There's no see now, buy now, no direct to consumer. It's just, you know, you see it on the runway and then you go buy it at the department store, which is kind of a very traditional way of doing things. Um, Jill, you mentioning Mark by Mark Jacobs and then the Mark Jacobs reminds me of this old image that used to be going around I don't know if it was real but it was like a label in the back of a shirt and it was like mark by mark jacobs designed by mark jacobs for mark jacobs by mark jacobs (laughs) you know it was like this you know matryoshka doll of like jacobs by mark by mark jacobs for mark jacobs you know this whole thing and and I do think that's kind of like uh another sort of old school thing is just you know really heavily heavily focused on like the name of the designer and, and you know, these kind of confusing, like similarly named collections and stuff. Another thing I wanted to mention was at the end of the show, and, and this has been mentioned by a lot of the, the coverage um, of the show, there was this quote from Nietzsche. Uh, I'm going to read it. Uh, we share our choices in contrast to the ongoing brutality and ugliness of a world beyond our insulated, but not impermeable walls. There was a lot of people, you know, different articles who kind of made the connection between this quote about Choices and the brutality of the world, um, as sort of a comment on the overturning of the Roe v. Wade decision, which, uh, also we have a bunch of stories on Glossy about this week. Big, big news. We're not going to dedicate a whole section of the podcast about it, but we are covering a lot uh, of stuff around this, um, you know, throughout this last week. Probably we will continue into next week too. Um, Mark Jacobs has definitely been, you know, very pro choice in the past. He's, I don't know if he's commented specifically on the decision, like. During this week, but he has like done stuff with Planned Parenthood and, and stuff in the past, so we know where he he stands on it. And I, I felt like that was sort of an intentional kind of allusion to to what's going on there.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree, and no surprise that they went there and that they addressed it. I do think that uh, Mark Jacobs, that's you know, he's tapped into pop culture, it, not pop culture, but what's happening in the world. I would say, um, and. And really, yeah, reflects that in in his creativity and even you know just connecting with his audience. He probably he knows they want to hear from him. Um, he's on mm-hmm. you know Instagram. He's got he's showing his plastic surgery. I just feel like there's no um, I guess there's no like boundaries. Um, he's just an open book, and he's not going to like he he referenced this in a recent article where um, you know he's not going to hide anything. This is him. It's kind of like. Um, braving, braving this fashion world as himself and, um, take it or leave it kind of. Um, but I do think that on the business side, I mean, the CEO is, is really guiding him in the right direction, um, in terms of making the business profitable and successful. But, um, yeah, I think we'll, on the high fashion side, I, it's interesting. I mean, in terms of who's addressing this matter, again, you'll read about it on glossy and who is not no surprise that Mark Jacobs went there.
0: Yeah. And it reminds me of, um, the Balenciaga show a couple months ago that happened like right after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And it was like so close to the time of the show that like obviously they didn't have time to like do a whole thing about it. But Demna wrote like a, a you know, a quick but very heartfelt note about like his experience as a refugee and, and you know, just added, I think it was just added to the show kind of last minute. It was a small thing. And similar thing with Mark Jacobs. Like, I mean, obviously because the decision was leaked ahead of time, everybody knew, but like, it finally happened just like on Friday and the show was on Monday. So it's not really enough time I think for them to do anything super elaborate with it. But I think just the inclusion of that quote is like, you know, that's something quick. You can do at, at the last minute to kind of just, like you said, remain tapped into what's going on and not feel like you're kind of like, you know, ignoring something that's, that's really big and it affects a lot of people. Um, Anyway, as we said, there are a lot of stories on on the fashion and beauty industry's response to the Roe v. Wade overturning, so check out Glossy. We've got a lot of coverage about that. Um, but let's move on, Jill, and talk about um, what's going on with the the Sustainable Apparel Coalition, um, which is this organization. They were founded like 10 years ago. A um, bunch of brands on board, I think over like 200 brands, um, with the idea of, you know, Supporting more sustainable apparel, and their big thing was creating a standardized like product label sort of thing to to indicate how sustainable a piece of clothing is. Um, they've been using this thing called the uh, hig Sustainability Profile, which is supposed to show you know each piece of clothing's relative sustainability values and stuff. However, this week they paused the use of it entirely um, after two things happened. So the Norwegian Consumer Authority, um, which is like, you know, a a consumer protection organization based in Norway, um, questioned, like very publicly questioned the validity of these profiles. um, And separately, courts, um, the publication did a great investigation into how H&M has been using these labels and found that they're like insanely misleading. I mean, some stuff was literally saying the exact opposite. Like it would say that something uses 30% less water than normal, but then you click on it to look into the data and it's actually 30% more like literally showing the complete opposite of what it's supposed to do. Joe, we've talked about this before. There's not a lot of standardization in the fashion industry of what you can say about sustainability. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on, this whole kind of controversy and, and what's going on here.
1: Sophia and our team has written a lot about this HIG Material Sustainability Index, um, which I think she was really like, "Whoa!" The fact that they're saying this is not valid um, is a very big deal in her world and in um, for for fashion brands that have have relied on this. Like you said, there's no regulation. It's like clean beauty sustainability brands are. Can say what they wanted. Almost, it seems like um, self-policing. Um, and for I, you look at H and M and what they did. You do you want to say, okay, somebody who read this didn't understand, or this was intentional? It seems intentional.
0: Um, I think it. I think it. One hundred percent seems intentional. I mean, this is purely just my feeling, and you know, but courts did. Like, I, if you read the courts article. They did a very thorough job. They, I actually, like, it was very, I loved the story. I thought it was so great. But it was, like, hundreds of items were wrong. And and one thing they pointed out was that, basically, if you look at, like, the, co- in, they dug into, like, the code of the website, um, which you can do on any web page. Like, you can see the, sort like, um, not the source code. But you can see, like, the code of what's going on, why certain things are displayed. And it's, like, it doesn't even allow like the code that sh- that displays stuff on the H&M's website does not allow it to show things that are like under that are like below average so it's like that's why it's the op- that's why if it said yeah if the actual piece was 30% worse than the baseline it would show 30% better because it would just take the number and just say better regardless of what the number whether it was a positive or negative number you know so I don't know. That feels like, I guess that could be an oversight, but it's pretty convenient oversight that it's like, we, oh, we made a mistake that only makes us look good. You know, it's, (laughs) and compare that to a couple months ago when I wrote a story for Glossy about Nike's um, had this interactive map of their different manufacturing locations uh, showing like the average age of the employees, the average, like, how many products they make. And that to me, Felt like a genuine mistake because some of the things were like nonsensical it was like the average age of an employee here is like two years old like and i remember either that's a mistake and it seems like a pretty obvious mistake or this is the most unethical factory in the world and probably not very efficient if you've got two-year-olds working on it but that just like that felt like okay clearly this was just kind of an afterthought and they kind of messed it up but you know they had factories showing that it made zero products last year that's not like, you know what I mean? Yes. That, that feels more like just a mistake. The H&M thing feels designed to show the clothes in a better light than they actually are.
1: Yes. Has everybody pulled down their HIG Mysterial Sustainability Index, like their information? It's interesting because, OK, like you said, more than 200 and 250 members that are part of this, this coalition, H&M, Inditex, Caring, PVH.
0: bunch of big ones. Yeah.
1: The big dogs. Um. But they all re- they started this index. It seems that the information was, in fact, correct, and that what people do with it is the shady shit, <laughs>
0: right? Mm-hmm. So I I think so. I mean, that's the specific issue with H and M. But I have read that there that environmental groups have sort of criticized this the HIG um, sustainability profiles in general, just because there you know there's lots of room for for misleading. They also compare things to like the baseline. Um, of of like apparel which is not great so if it says like it's 30% better than average that doesn't mean like 30% good or or it doesn't yeah. even mean net positive it means like 30% better than like the average stuff which is already horrible so it it's like i think even beyond the kind of like mislabeling that H&M was doing it th- there's reason to criticize this measurement um even if it's used technically properly.
1: Yeah, that is a good point, and I did forget that. Um, And so this coalition's only a year old, so it's just, with these big companies still, I'm sure it's really, um, a lot of consumers have bought into things where they thought they were doing something better than they were, probably buying into, like H&M, it's what they're labeling as kind of conscious or cleaner or environmentally friendly is just basically on par with the rest of their clothing.
0: Yeah. And there's still, I mean, we've talked about this a lot, but there's so much greenwashing in the industry, like even beyond H&M or beyond this coalition, I think like every brand wants to sound sustainable, even if they're like, you know, very, very plainly not. So there's just a lot, I, I would suggest people be like very skeptical of a lot of claims like this. And, you know, you need to wear clothes. I understand that everybody has to wear clothes, but like definitely if a Brand is telling you one thing you should you should definitely take it with a grain of salt. I don't think H and M is the only brand that's done something like this. Yes. Um, any other thoughts, Jill? Oh, I was just go? gonna
1: say. I mean. Yeah. Somebody who, I, a brand that is really selling me on their level of sustainability, I mean, and B Corp certified, like they've got a different certification that is not this, yeah. is I just spoke with the the um, new creative director of Another Tomorrow. And anyway, the, she was new, came from other brands in the industry where she was like, whoa, 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 whoa. She really wasn't expecting to come into this brand and, um, I guess, have these Boundaries and um, focus that she hadn't had before. Um, she called it refreshing and it's just like, it's a whole new way of doing business. Um, it takes outsiders coming into fashion to rethink these processes. Um, but I, I just think, yeah, that needs to happen more so and different, <laughs> different, I guess, authorities than, than this coalition here. <laughs>
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, let's talk about our final story uh, of this episode. Um, StockX laid off about 8% of its employees, which I think is over 100 people altogether. Um I think their last time there were big layoffs at the company was in April 2020, right after the pandemic began. I feel like in early 2020, there were a ton of layoffs at a lot of different companies, and there was, you know, economic turmoil and stuff. And then now we're like, also seeing a bunch of layoffs and economic turmoil and all that stuff. Jill, I think by the time this episode is out, you will have a story on Glossy about um, layoffs in the industry. Uh, what are your thoughts on on StockX dropping like 100 employees?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I always peg them with the other resale companies where you can sell on StockX and yet it's new, unworn Styles, which is kind of a differentiator um so just them being resale I'm like oh like we're we're talking all the time about everybody's rushing to resale and resale is booming so it's kind of like in that context or in that way it's like it's surprising and yet at the same time like my story you're doing you're leading a package on an editorial package story series on um the recession the looming recession and how brands are safeguarding or preparing and so my story is really about um layoffs and how brands are um saying we're doing this because um yes we're streamlining um we figured out over the course of the two years while we're rethinking everything um where we can Cut corners or what, what, who is doing jobs that maybe we don't even need anymore. So obviously layoffs aren't good for those being laid off. But for the company, um, if they're rethinking their processes and getting smarter about, about where they're spending money, whether it be on employees or processes or automated versus manual and all of that jazz, um, not always the negative thing that <laughs> newsmakers make it out to be, um, but they're positioning it. They have an official statement. Uh, basically, uh, the challenges are that are impacting everyone um, continue to affect our consumer behavior. And the current climate calls for us to make adjustments. Uh, it's an investment in long-term sustainability, kind of what I was yeah. saying. Um, but yeah.
0: they They also, I think they use the term macroeconomic pressures as well. Um, and, and like you said, I mean, there are plenty of companies that are like, you know, doing super well, but then lay off a bunch of employees. And that's like a common thing I see when there are mass layoffs um, or price increases. And, you know, and and it's like the company's like, well, we, do, we don't want to do it, but we have to do it. And then, you know, people love to point out like, well, you had like record profits last quarter and yet you like feel still need to lay people off. Um, I, I do think that StockX does have some genuine kind of like stuff going on. It's obviously fighting a big legal battle with Nike, which I think is not good for them on several levels. Like from a PR level, it's not great. Like, but also Nike is huge. They probably have a huge legal budget and um, I'm sure it's not cheap to be in a big legal battle with Nike. So I don't know what exactly, you know, they're kind of vague about Macroeconomic pressures, consumer behavior change. They don't quite say exactly what consumer behavior change is driving this, but I think like a lot of times it might just be like, well, we need to cut costs a little bit. And like, obviously, we're not going to cut our salaries up at the top or anything. You know, no company ever wants to do that, but like we can cut, you know, 8% of people off the bottom, Um, which, like you said, is not great for those people. And it's also not good on a PR level. But it doesn't necessarily mean that StockX is like, going under or whatever. Um, not that I think anybody has said that explicitly, but, but I'm just, I'm agreeing with you that it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, that it's a super bad time for the company.
1: Yeah. They were sure to point out we're a grow, we're still a growing brand. We're still growing. Um, so good to know, (laughs) but there is, like you said, a theme, um, like, especially among these kind of unicorns where, um, a lot of them are, um, conducting a bunch of layoffs, um, StockX, um, in my story, Stitch Fix, also Klarna, which is a tech company, but still in our in our world. Um, so yeah, it's not a, it's not unique, um, but it's an interesting trend, and we'll see again how this all shakes out as we're going through this crazy time.
0: Yeah, and and like you said, I mean, StockX is still like a four billion dollar company in terms of their valuation, and like I don't think that's really gone down. Much recently, so um, it's it's quite big at this point. Um, it does have some challenge, like there, like you said. I do think that people are more interested in resale. There, there are like big competitors like Goat, even though they don't, they're not exactly the same because, like you said, StockX like only sells basically mint condition unworn sneakers, whereas Goat you can sell mint condition, but you can also sell you know shoes that are actually worn. So it's not you're right. It's not exactly the same, but I mean. Even just like Nike starting their own, you know, resale program in-house is probably enough to have them stock I mean, a little worried. Um, and then, yeah, like like I said, on top of that, they've got this whole protracted legal battle over NFTs and counterfeits and stuff with Nike going on. That's probably not great for them, too.
1: Honestly, I we had at our at our recent forum, um, the founder of Antidote, uh, no, 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 no. her other her other companies, Wish Atlanta, um, Wish, Wish Atlanta, yeah, yeah, so selling, um, again, mostly sneakers, streetwear, um, but I asked that question on the stage. I said, you know, what because they really rely on Nike's drops to drive the business, and I'm like, what happens? They're going, is it a threat? They're going direct, and she like and she basically was like, well, yeah, <laughs> like. It's a big threat. Um, so I think StockX, mm-hmm. same same difference here. Um, and ooh, yeah, Nike's a he does yeah. drives huge business for a lot of these companies.
0: <sighs> yeah, and and getting on Nike's bad side, I don't think is is good. Like you said, they're so dominant, and they're so like so many other retailers and resellers and companies like are sort of like riding. They're, they're like the little like leeches that like that sounds mean but you know what I mean like (laughs) on a big whale shark or something there's like all the little fish that are like eating the like plankton off it or whatever that's that's kind of how a lot of these companies are with Nike it's just they're so huge and they drive so much of like the entire sneaker business um that it's it's a big deal
1: it's a big deal and p.s none of these companies all of them they have layoffs I'm sure like you said it's probably a PR nightmare every single one that has recently laid off employees send me a statement like nobody wants to talk come on yeah. like talk about it like it really I mean <laughs> why yeah. not
0: and what you know you and that, goes for, that goes for any controversial issues that nobody ever wants to talk to me about we you guys should all just like start talking about stuff that would make my job a lot easier
1: <laughs> we won't have to um, sit here and speculate it'll be very clear
0: yeah just give me the goods tell me what's going on in there But that's all the time we have this week. Jill, this is so fun. I love talking to you every week about this. For those of you listening, if you have not given us a rating and a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on, please do. It helps us out a lot. And if you haven't subscribed to the Glossy Podcast, you should, because every Friday you'll hear me and Jill talking about the week in review, um, talking about exactly the stuff we just talked about. And then every Wednesday, Jill has a conversation with somebody interesting in the industry Jill, who's up next on the Glossy Podcast with you?
1: Up next, we've got Rachel Tavo and Netta Talabian Funk. They are the founders of Woodley & Low, which is this, I would say, the anti-brandy Melville, uh, really looking to appeal mm. to the, the tween market and doing some cool things.
0: Cool. Well, if you subscribe to the Glossy Podcast, you can hear Jill talking to them. And like I said, every Friday, Jill and I talk about the Week in Review. Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you all next week.